Coffee with Humans is live, candid conversations between strangers who become friends. Made possible with your support. Subscribe, share, and comment on your favorite platform. Get Coffee with Humans mugs and more. Links are at coffeewithhumans.com. Thanks for joining me. We are live once again with Coffee with Humans. Today, my special guest is Dave the Caveman Chapman. Welcome, Dave, to Coffee with Humans. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear what this whole caveman thing is about. Uh, but first, I'm curious, what inspired you to click the button to have coffee with me? Well, you know, since the, uh, since the pandemic started, I, I started doing my own podcast here and there. Um, and, you know, I'm going to put podcast in air quotes there because really what it is most of the time is just me going off on a tangent and ranting about something for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, okay. Uh, the last one that I did was actually, I titled it those mother effers. And, uh, it was just a, it was a whole bunch of things about the things that I had experienced recently that I hated and the things that I loved. And, uh, so I was really enjoying that. And then I started producing a podcast for my wife and I started thinking, you know, the thing I haven't done has been a guest. Like I'm an interesting guy. Why not try and find a place to be a guest? And, uh, yeah. so I was scrolling through some stuff and I, and I found yours and I thought, well, hell, I'm human and I like coffee and this guy looks pretty pleasant. You know, he looks like the kind of guy I'd sit next to at the bar and, and chat with. So, uh, so I dropped a, dropped a little thing in the, you know, uh, clicked the button and said, let's give this a shot. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to have you. And I do hope, uh, I do hope that I deliver on the perception that I would be one of those good guys that you could have a drink with at a bar. So far, so good. Well. The cool thing is, and this for our viewers and listeners, the great thing about Coffee with Humans is that I don't know you yet, Dave, and I, I've okay. done zero research on you. Uh, and, and so you've got the upper hand in this relationship that you've, uh, if, if you've, if you've seen me on all these and on any episodes before, you know more about me than I know about you. And that's the cool thing about Coffee with Humans, because it really is two strangers who get together to, uh, have, have coffee, make the world a better place. So what's this caveman thing about? Curious. Uh, so, you know, caveman started back in the, uh, back in the nineties, I, I picked up everything that I had or put everything that I could fit. I had a little Isuzu truck, a little 1988 red Isuzu pickup truck, all banged up and beat up. And, uh, my best friend and I decided, you know what, we don't want to live in Florida anymore. We're going to go to Colorado. And, uh, so we packed everything we could fit in this little truck. It was a hilarious trip, man. We went across the country. Um, from Florida to Colorado, did two days in the, in the truck. And we had this 15 inch woofer, you know, home speaker in the seat between us. So we're, we're like this with one arm out the window. And we both had the, the horrible farmer's tans when we got there on one side and, uh, <clears throat> ended up enrolling in Colorado state while I was there and found out they had a, a radio station, KCSU. And I thought, you know, I've always loved music. That's always been a thing I wanted to do. And, uh, so I ended up going in and, uh, working there for a while. And then <clears throat> after that, I was, I was in commercial radio for just a little bit until my son was born, but that was where the caveman came from is that, you know, I just kind of had this look about me at the time. My, my head was shaved and, uh, I don't know if people uh, probably can't see it and most people can't like, they don't recognize it, but I don't have any eyebrows. I actually shaved my eyebrows. And, uh, so I, I was completely bald with shaved eyebrows and somebody said, man, you look like a freaking caveman. And I was like, Dave, man, the caveman that works. And, uh, so, so I adopted that as my radio name. I was Dave, man, the caveman doing it to you in your ear hole. 
and uh, had, had a lot of fun and some good times and made up some stories along the way. You know, there were a couple of stories that, uh, that I've let out about, you know, dragging people by their hair into my tent and stuff. But, uh, the, the reality of it is that somebody just said, dude, you look kind of like a caveman. And then it stuck. Thought, well, hey, caveman, the caveman, that rhymes. Yeah. You got to play off that for sure. Well, since yeah. you brought it up, what's the deal with, have, with, what, why do you shave your eyebrows? Well, I, I was, uh, at the time I was in my early twenties and thanks to genetics, I was losing my hair already. And the, the last haircut that I had before I moved to Colorado was a Mohawk. And as okay. you can probably imagine, a Mohawk doesn't look that cool when you start losing the hair up front. So, uh, so I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? And you know, I said, well, I'm just going to shave it. So I, I shaved my head and. Oh, you know, I come out of the bathroom. I've got like this single blade, big disposable razor. You know, I'm broke. I just moved across the country. I'm shaving with whatever I can find. And I, I come out of the bathroom and look at my roommate and I said, what do you think? And I'm just like blood dripping down my face. You know, this horrible mess. And he goes, something's not right, man. I said, oh, you mean the blood? He's like, no, the eyebrows. I said, what do you mean? He's like, dude, go shave the eyebrows off. So I went back in the bathroom and shaved the eyebrows off and uh, they've been gone ever since. And, uh, yeah, I have such a pronounced ridge. Well, one of the girls that I did radio with actually used to call me, uh, Australopithecus robustus. And, you know, I have this pronounced ridge and most people don't even notice, you know, they, they see the shadow of the ridge over my eyes and think that I still have eyebrows. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have noticed. I, I don't shave my eyebrows. I'll take, take my glass off your butt and I, I'm sure that you can see it. I'm not, I, I think I got it, but sometimes they get like a gigantic, like really black hair that, um, it's like the freak of all hairs. There's one on this side, there's one on this side and it starts to just, I, I forget about it. I, I, cause I don't inspect my face frequently. Right. Um, but then somebody will, my, usually my daughter, she'll be like, what's going on there, dad? Well, and I'm then, always afraid now that if I let them grow back, that it's going to be like the juice man, you know, or, or Andy Green, like I'm going to have these things growing out of my head and it's, so I just keep shaving them at this point. I'm afraid that's my future and I don't know what I'm, I don't know. I could, you know, with, with one there's, I feel like there's a, like an army, uh, coming behind, which is why I just keep plucking it. And hopefully that takes care of it. <laughs> I don't know. So you were in radio, huh? Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, it's something that I miss every day. I actually, I got really excited a couple of weeks ago because, uh, Sirius XM Octane does a thing where you can send in a recording. And so I sent in a recording a couple of weeks ago and, and got to hear myself on the radio introducing a pop evil song. And it was oh, you know, wow. the first time in 21 years that I had heard myself coming out of the radio. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You know, I've, right? I've missed it every day and I don't, I don't regret leaving it. But I, you know, I was early enough in my career that I hadn't paid my dues yet. And so I, I wasn't making much money. I was working, you know, the overnight shifts when I had to, I was working weekends, I was doing uh, promotions. I was setting up the tents and setting up the sound systems and whatever I could to try and make enough money. And then, uh, my girlfriend at the time who ended up being my first wife, I, I'm on my second marriage now, which is a, a much better one, but we'll, we can talk about that later. Um. But yeah, I just, I ended up, uh, ended up having a, a child and said, you know, I got to go back to, to getting a real job. I gotta, I gotta do something that's gonna pay the bills and, and feed this kid. So, so I, I left radio and, uh, ended up at that point becoming a, a production manager in a litigation copying service. 
So I had, you know, they, we would get uh, press releases from the state attorney's office. We would get court case stuff, you know, sometimes 13, 14 boxes of documents that we would have to photocopy for both sides of the, the court battle. And okay. uh, very interesting. I, I saw some, some things in that job that I'll never be able to unsee as far as, you know, crime scene photos and things like that. Um, but that was, you know, that was what I ended up doing to, to pay the bills at the time. And I've, I've always, always thought, you know, if I could get the opportunity to go back into radio, I would love to do it. But it seems to me that, I'm not even sure how, you know, like how to go about it. Well, it seems to me that if you started a podcast, isn't that kind of the first thing you're going back into? Uh, I mean, it's essentially radio. It's not, it's not, you know, bro broadcasting quite the same way, but isn't it sort of the same thing? It is. And I think that's what attracted me to it was that, you know, it gave me the chance to open the mic up and just yeah, and be myself again, you know, and, and uh, yeah. or some of the silly crap that comes through my brain. What was it about radio and, or, or is it about radio and podcasting that, that, um, inspires you? Well, you know, I've, I've been co a collector of music since I was, I mean, as long as I can remember, I, I remember buying, uh, uh, it depends on, on how big a fan of music people are, if they'll get this, but I, the first album I ever bought with my own allowance was Dream Police by Cheap Trick. And, uh, you know, okay. I think that came out in like 1978. And so I was, I was like six years old, saving up my allowance to go and buy records. And, uh, so I've just always been a huge music person and I've always enjoyed sharing myself. Um, but I've always been very self-conscious about my appearance. And so with radio, mm -hmm. it was kind of, you know, it was, I had an ability to be anonymous. I got to be caveman and I, and I got to say whatever was on my mind and nobody had to see me and I didn't have to see anybody. Hmm. And, uh, so that initially I think was part of the appeal, but then. Then I started doing, you know, on-site promotions, going and introducing bands and doing interviews. And then that really, you know, that became the pull at that point, like you know, the interaction with people and, uh, you know, I got to interview the refreshments and it was shortly after King of the Hill got big. And so, you know, okay. that, that was kind of the big thing for them at the time, but then they also had, you know, two albums out and, uh, I did a lot of research and it was really. Like it was so gratifying to, to be able to just sit there and, and talk back and forth with these people that I had such admiration and respect for. And then, you know, they gave me passes to the show that night and their manager came out and found me in the crowd and said, Hey, the guys in the band want to buy you a drink. You know, they really appreciated the homework that you did. And, you know, they said that was one of the best interviews they've had. And it's wow. Things like that, you know, that, that once the initial pull got me in, that was the kind of thing that made me want to keep doing it. So your, your first album was Cheap Trick album, huh? Yep. Yeah. Are you a big fan of Cheap Trick? Um, not so much anymore, but I certainly was at the time. But you know, yeah. Well, here's, so what, one thing we have not covered yet is I'm in Rockville, Illinois, uh, the home of Cheap Trick. Okay. Uh, nice. where are you, where are you located? Oh, uh, well, currently I am in Gray Court, South Carolina. All right. Um, I, it's, it's a very rural town. Um, I'm about 45 minutes from Greenville, which is, you know, that that's a place most people will know. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm essentially in the Greenville, South Carolina area, but I'm currently, I have a bid in on a house. I'm trying to move up to uh, Hamburg, New York, which is just outside of Buffalo because I, I was born in Michigan. I'm not a, I'm not a Southern guy. Somehow I've ended up in the South most of my life, but, uh, I, I'm not. A Southern boy. I was born in Michigan and I hate being 90 degrees and humid all the time. 
<laughs> I'm looking to get back up to where I can shovel some snow and get a snowmobile and maybe learn how to ice fish. Yeah. It's nice to have, it's nice to have some seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things, you know, I grew up in Florida. I spent uh, the better part of my life in Florida from the time I was eight until I was 25. And that was when I moved out to Colorado for a little while. And, um, you know, it was, I loved being there as a kid, but that's one of the things that I really didn't like about it is that it felt like we had summer for nine, 10 months. And then, you know, then everything bloomed and you sneezed for a while. And then maybe you would have a couple of days where everybody's complaining because they got to put socks on. And that was, you know, that was winter to them. And I'm like, dude, come on. You know, I'm still out there in shorts and a t-shirt going, this is perfect. 50 degrees. I love this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I, I think people don't uh, have a sig enough appreciation for the, the vast differences in, um, cultures and climates and, um, views, let's say that you can get just by traveling a handful of hours. I mean, it's, there's really not that big of a deal to hop in a car, you know, and beeline it down to, you know, South Carolina or go to Florida and, yeah. and come on, come on the way back and experience a completely different, it's almost like a completely different world in, it in really some ways. Is. Yeah. And I, and I do that, you know, I've, I still have a lot of family in Florida, so it's, it's about 10 hours from here to, uh, I grew up in St. Petersburg, which is Tampa Bay area. And I still have, uh, you know, my family that's uh, still around They're They're mostly down there. So I go down every so often, it's about a 10 hour drive. So it's really, it's nothing, you know, to get there, but it is, um, you know, that's one thing I will say about Florida is like, if I, if I slept the whole trip and woke up and opened my eyes and opened my nose, I would be able to tell you that I was in Florida. Like it's, you know, yeah. just that, that sea air, there's a whole different feel to it than there is even in coastal South Carolina. Yeah, for sure. So is that a, uh, in your background, is that a keyboard? Uh, it is. Yeah. It's a, uh, 88 key electric and yeah. can't play it worth a darn, but I've, I'm trying to learn. Um. That's you know, awesome. One of the things a few years ago, I, I challenged myself to try and get out of my comfort zone a little bit because I, I have a tendency to kind of shrink away and, and, you know, hide. And so I, I was, I actually was in New York city. I, was, I spent three and a half years in New York city on a contract. I'm by trade. Uh, currently I'm an instructional designer. So I develop curriculum and I train trainers and I develop training programs for an electronic health record. And uh, I work in cardiology and radiology departments. And so I, I had a contract in New York city that I was lucky enough to keep for three and a half years. And while I was there, I thought, you know what, I've got nothing to do at night. You know, I'm, I'm in a city that I don't live in. Somebody's paying me to be here. And I started taking piano lessons and, uh, oh, wow. so I, I bought that so that I could keep practicing and, and I, I don't practice as much as I should, but I, I've, you know, every once in a while I have a little breakthrough on it and go, oh, I can, you know, I can play half of imagine now. Woo. It's, that's really cool. I think, um, what you talked about there that you are, you challenge yourself to get, kind of get out of your comfort zone or out of a kind of that rut. Um, has that been a common theme in your life? You've moved, it seems you've moved around, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, every once in a while, and, and it's been the same with jobs, you know, like I, I get bored with things and, uh, the boredom tends to be what challenges me to finally get out of my comfort zone as I, I can't take being bored for too long. So then I've got to do something and I realize doing something means that I have to do something I haven't done yet. And oh my God, is that scary? 
you know, but then finally I work up the courage and say, yeah, you know, scary is good. Scary, uh, scary is what gives us things to talk about. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. How's, how's we going with your podcast? And because that sounds like it's something new, building off a skill that you obviously already have and an interest that you've had for years. And now you've got this new technological outlet for it. Yeah, it's, you know, I've enjoyed it, but I've, having still worked full time, I didn't do it as much as I wanted to, you know, I, I hadn't gotten on a schedule. So that's, that's kind of one of the things that I've been looking at the last few weeks is, okay, I want to, uh, I want to start trying to do it consistently. You know, even if nobody hears it, at least I'm doing something consistently. I'm having fun with it. Um, and the, the idea for it was actually born. It was supposed to be a family thing. Um, initially I have, well, I have four kids. Uh, two of them were born to me and then two of them I, I, uh, gained luckily through marriage, um, all great kids and three of them, the oldest all like to go to shows with me. So we, we had a family tradition where, you know, living here in Carolina, we would go to Carolina rebellion every year. Okay. And, uh, so we went to the, the last year that we went, it was, uh, they changed the name to epicenter and we got up, it was about seven o'clock in the morning and we're all walking out to that, you know, fabulous little portalette that they've got for you to. To, you know, get rid of your excrement. And one of the kids said something and it was, you know, I'm on four hours of sleep with probably still a buzz from the night before. And they said something and I said something and I was like, oh man. So that was some blast to me before breakfast. And the, the idea was born out of that. We were like, you know, oh, we should do a podcast. We should call it blasphemy before breakfast. I was wondering when he said that, I was like, that sounds like a great podcast name. And, and, uh, and so initially the idea was, that, you know, we were going to center it around our concert travels, you know, that it was okay. going to be me and the three older kids and that we were going to go to all these shows and we were going to, you know, broadcast from the shows and we were going to record and we were going to meet people on the campgrounds when we were camping and, and, uh, then the pandemic hit. Mm. And so that kind of blew that, but, um, you know, and had none of us live in the same place at this point, you know, like my. One of my kids was in New York. I have one that was living here with me still. Um, my two are both gone from the house there. You know, they're 21 and, uh, 19 now. Yeah. Wow. wow. My God. Yeah. 21 and 19. And, uh, so then I've got a one that's about to turn 18 and one that just turned 15 at home. And so I was going to start doing it with the 18 year old, but then he's, you know, he's got school and all this other stuff and. And finally I said, oh, what? I'm just going to sit down and open up the mic and see what comes out. And so yeah. that, that's what it has turned into, but uh, I'm still hopeful at some point that, you know, it can, it can go back to what we originally intended, which was kind of this family show that's not for families and, uh, the, you know, we can meet cool people and maybe even meet some of the musicians and, and then it would feel a lot more like radio to me, um, which you know, was kind of the first time that I've realized that that was the, that I was trying to inject that radio into it initially. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when you signed up for this and when we were talking about, uh, what to title our chat today, you know, the question I pose is, you know, just what generally is on your mind. And then, uh, you know, for our viewers and listeners, we, we talk about anything, uh, but your the title that you, you put on there to, today was don't do it alone. It, that idea of not doing it alone was that, is that, is that what, uh, that podcast was about? Like in, engaging you know, engaging family and in your conversations, but not doing it alone or where does this don't do it alone topic come from for you? Well, the, you know, the don't do it alone topic for me comes from just all the years that I've tried to do everything myself. Like I, I've mm -hmm. spent most of my life thinking, 
I don't need anybody else and I don't want anybody else to help me. And, you know, I, I recently uh, published a book and it's called Cave Edgings. And what it is, is just a whole bunch of poems and prose and things that I wrote throughout the course of my life. And most of these things were written in times of depression or despair or some wow. other, you know, mental health related feel. And I always like, I would write, I wouldn't tell anybody what was going on. I wouldn't open up and say, you know, Hey, I'm feeling down or, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling today or whatever. I would just, I would put a wall up around myself and I would write. And finally, um, in this past year with the pandemic, again, you know, I had all this time on my hands and I said, you know, I've, I said for 20 years, I was going to turn this into a book and I finally did. And, uh, and so that for me was kind of saying that I don't want to do it alone anymore. And, uh, and since I've realized that, you know, part, part of what really is a driving force in my life at this point, you know, I'll, I'll be 49 next month. So I, I've okay. got quite a bit of life behind me and God willing, quite a bit of life in front of me still. Um, yeah. and with that life that's in front of me, you know, I want to be somebody that gets people to open up, that gets people to realize that they don't have to do it alone, you know, to, to help reduce the stigma of mental health and let people know, yeah, I, I've always had kind of like people look at me initially sometimes and I'm, I'm a big dude, you know, I'm six foot one, about 300 pounds, you know, I'm, I'm built mostly like a football player and. And when I'm trying to keep people out, it's real easy to do, you know, I can look yeah. very unapproachable. And, uh, so that even, you know, that drives me even more to let people see what a big teddy bear I am, you know, to say that, okay, yeah, you think I'm this big, tough guy that, you know, doesn't need anybody. And I'm, I'm here to admit today that I do, you know, I, I need people. I I've, I've got to have support around me and so do you. And it's okay to say that it's not. Yeah, I, I was a substance abuse counselor for several years. Um, I worked in a methadone clinic and, yeah. you know, one of the things that, uh, that really like hit me was that you can't do it alone. You know, it was being able to, to have a men's group and have these guys open up was huge. And, you know, just, I realized how long I've been trying to do it all myself and how much it doesn't work, you know, in spite of me thinking, making myself believe that it worked, it didn't work. I've, I've got to have people. And if I can say I've got to have people, then anybody can say they've got to have people, you know, we, we don't have to do it alone. And I don't want people to do it alone. Is that the, uh, one of the topics on your podcast? Is that, are you, are you kind of putting yourself at the intersection of that? I mean, you were, you've written a book about it. You've lived a life that has sort of you've maybe entering this trans transition, uh, to living in a, in a different way. How's your podcast fitting with that? Well, it's, uh, you know, my podcast has really just been kind of what I've done. It has been very off the cuff. It's been whatever happens to be in my brain and it hasn't come about yet that that's what's in my brain when I do the podcast, but it certainly sure. is, you know, it's, I don't want to have. I don't want to pigeonhole myself into any specific topic, you know, and that, that yeah. part of the thing is like the title is going to scare a few people away. And I get that, you know, blast me before breakfast, there are going to be people who look at it and go, oh, I don't want to hear that. But it's not, you know, it's not like I'm only going to slam religion or I'm only going to talk about this or that, you know, it's, it's 
whatever's on my mind. And it might, you know, it might be that I took a really good dump that morning, or it might be that I'm really struggling, you know, and, and, you know, so since we're talking about that, my next one may, may be very much that, you know, I just found out the other day that somebody I'm very, very close to, um, has cancer and is probably, you know, I'm probably not going to have an opportunity to make many, many more memories. Um, and so, you know, that's, that is something that's definitely on my mind and it may be something that I talk about, you know, it's, I just lost my dad not even six months ago. And now I'm looking at losing somebody else that's important to me. And, uh, you know, my, my default has always been to kind of shut down and not let anybody in and not talk about it. And so mm -hmm. to do a podcast where I'm just burying my soul and talking about it and, you know, saying, this is what's going on with me definitely is, is something that I think is going to happen. Yeah. It seems, it seems that, uh, it seems that sharing and opening up to those types of things is the natural conclusion of processing in a healthy, in, in a healthy way, or at least being willing to do that. I, uh, I've found for myself also, you know, most, uh, my default mode is to, sh is to close off, push away. Uh, and I've found it to be more beneficial to open up, open up the conversations because, um, it does seem that, uh, we, as maybe it's guys, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's exclusively guys, but I'll talk from a, you know, a guy's perspective, um, guys, capable, capable guys, um, tend to, tend to maintain, need to maintain some sort of, um, some sort of vision, right? If people are looking at you as this, you know, physically intimidating, strong guy, it almost becomes a self perpetuating thing that, well, because people see me that way, I become that, I become that. And then that, and then I start working out of that identity of big, physically, you know, intimidating, strong, um, when in fact, that's only one component that's, I mean, so, so what you are, you know, big, intimidating, strong guy. Um, but to your point of like this, you've got this podcast for, you know, blast me before breakfast showing, showing one component of who you are. You're actually a holistic being with all sorts of, all sorts of, uh, you know, fears and hopes and struggles. And why not, why not be able to open up the communication a little bit further and, and present as a more, you know, holistic being when it, when it time makes sense. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I spent all that time kind of walling myself off and trying to, you know, I, looking back, it feels like almost like trying to be inoffensive you know, trying not to alienate anybody. But at the same time, what I was doing was alienating everybody. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't fostering close relationships. I wasn't making these deep connections with people because I wasn't giving them who I was, you know, like I was giving them just enough so that they didn't run away, but I wasn't giving them anything to make them want to hang out either. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's really, you know, that's what I want to have is I want to have meaningful conversations. I want to have deep connections with people. I want, you know, I want the space that I'm in to be a safe space for everybody to be able to be who they are and, you know, love each other basically. Yeah. And, uh, and it took me a long time to get there. You know, it took me, it took me basically blowing up my first marriage to figure out, you know, that, uh, 
it wasn't okay. Like one of, one of the most profound moments, you know, I said that I was a counselor. One of the most profound moments I had was shortly after my first wife told me that she was leaving and, mm -hmm. uh, I was driving up the mountain. I, I had to be at work at five o'clock in the morning because it was, you know, medication assisted treatment. So people had to come in initially every day to get their medication. And, uh, so, you know, to, to work with people that had jobs, because of course we wanted them to have jobs. We had to be open really early. So, you know, it's, it's like four 30 in the morning and I'm driving up the mountain. It's about 15 degrees. I was in, uh, Boone, North Carolina at the time. And I'm going up the mountain and I just, something came on the radio and, uh, it was a Foo Fighters song and the lyrics of the song hit me and I just, I broke down. I was a, I was a mess, like so bad that I had to pull over and stop my car. And what occurred to me in that moment is that I had been treating every emotion like it was weakness. Everything mm -hmm. that I felt I internalized and I made it anger. And I just used it to keep everybody away because if I'm mad, nobody's going to mess with me. And, uh, and I realized in that moment, the, the damage that I had done to my life and my relationships by taking everything and turning it into anger. And, uh, I, luckily I had the men's group that day and I, I went in and I sat down on the chair and I was like, guys, I got to share this with you. Like the, you know, this is, this is what happened to me this morning. And it was such a meaningful, like the, the group was never the same after that, you know, it, it was, everybody became a little bit more open because they saw themselves and what I had to say. And it was them that I realized I can be a catalyst for, you know, people to recognize the damage that they're doing to themselves. Wow. What a profound, what a profound moment and opportunity. And it seems like there's the there's a vision that comes to my mind of noise, uh, like all, all of this noise, but there's one frequency that cuts through that noise and a kind of a voice that everybody hears. And that's that, that it's almost, it's like a, it's what you, what you expressed in that moment, it seems to people was a, a, a level of communication that everybody, you know, everybody, uh, felt everybody heard. Because at the core of who we are, we are so similar to one another and all of our differences are a bunch of noise on the outside, but at the core, boy, if you, if you speak from the heart, it, it has a way of just cutting through all the crap and now, and, and really making serious life change, which yeah. I think what everybody wants, I ultimately, I mean, at the core people want people, whether, whether they acknowledge it or not, um, or pro process it consciously live out of this idea that I really want, I really want to be loved. I really want to be accepted. I really want things to change. I want to be able to, to be better. Right. Um, I think the vast majority of people want that. And then when they hear somebody else say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this and here's what I, here's what I'm, here's what I'm hearing for myself. Um, it just has a way I think of connecting in, in ways that superficial connection, superficial communication just doesn't do not possible. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, that's what I'm striving for in my life now is just having, you know, I want to have everybody get that freedom that I got when I realized that I was just walking around angry all the time and that it wasn't, it wasn't serving me. Yeah. There's a quote. I'm just, I'm going to try to pull it up here. Um, that I came across, I don't even know uh, when it was, but 
Uh, let's see here. There's a quote that comes to my mind uh, that talks of what it's, I'm, I don't want to misquote it, but it's something like too often we call a man angry when he is merely sad. Um, I wish I could find this right, right offhand. Oh, post a quote. Oh boy. And, uh, and you know, I've had, I've had somebody tell me that, uh, that anger isn't even an emotion, you know, that that's, and I, and I've kind of go back and forth with my feelings on that, but given, you know, what we were just talking about, like, yeah, you know, anger may not be an emotion. Anger is more a reaction, you know, because I was taking the emotion sad. I was taking the emotion hurt. I was taking the emotion, you know, whatever and turning it into that anger, but that wasn't the emotion. That was the reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I've heard that as well, that, that really, and this is where that quote comes from. Um, oh, there we go. Haha, <laughs> here we go. I'll find this. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for our edification, uh, because I think it's so, I think it's so valuable that people see this sort of thing. Doot. Every man has his secret sorrows, which the world knows not. And oftentimes we call a man cold when he is only sad. Yeah. Which I think is so true because there's, there's, uh, that coldness, uh, distant anger are really masks for something that we don't want to acknowledge to one another. Yeah. Because the, uh, because. I'll speak for myself here because acknowledging sometimes the, the really deep emotions, the things that they are powerful, right? They're overwhelming. And if I were to acknowledge them, then I would be whisked away. Uh, and, and for people who are very feeling of which, you know, you're, you are very, it seems you're a very feeling guy, right? I'm a very feeling guy and didn't acknowledge that for a long time. And it would come out in certain ways, it would come out in music, right? My, my love for music, I would get lost. And, and, and it was an emotional outlet, just playing around on the piano, you know, emotional outlet. It allowed me to process my world and my life um, in, a, in a deeper level that I was unable to do, to do in any other context, right? Or, in, and, um, or, per, or sometimes in writing being able to process my world, but music was, music was the big thing or it, and still is the big thing. And I didn't recognize to the, to the, the degree that I lived in my head simply as a mask or not having to live, not having to just feel because I would feel all the time about all sorts of things. Um, and it's a scary place sometimes. And, and like you talked about, sometimes these things that we feel are we process them as weakness because we just believe that everybody else, you know, might see it as, <laughs> see it as weakness. And what if we did show up, you know, what if we were the guy who, you know, cried at movies or something like that? And what does that say? Does it say that I'm not strong? I'm not capable. I'm not smart. Right. What, you know, on down the line. Right. 
And, you know, for, for my generation, at least, you know, I think it's very common that, that men grew up with dads who, you know, it wasn't okay to cry. I'll give you something to cry about, you know, stop it. You know, big boy, don't cry. The, all of those things that, you know, are in the vernacular of parenting, um, you know, and something that I did not do as a parent, you know, I was, if my kids felt like crying, by God, cry, you know, get it out. Because I, uh, at that point I had started to recognize, you know, that, uh, that I wasn't, I was hiding from my feelings. You know, if I shared them, I had to actually deal with them. And, uh, I'll never forget the first time I cried in front of my oldest son. Then I just, was, you know, it was liberating, you know, it was scary as it was scary as all get out, but it was liberating to be able to show him that side of me and to know that, you know, he wasn't going to think any less of me for it. He probably thought more of me for it. And now he's comfortable expressing his emotions in a way that I wasn't when I was a young man. Yeah. Right. But, you know, children, children watch what we do and, and, and learn. Uh, it seems what is acceptable, what is unacceptable based on our in, you know, based on our feedback. I know that for myself, I've, I, uh, I, I believe this is true. I've learned to cultivate a pretty, a pretty deep relationship, I think with my daughter by being able to express like, here's, here's how I'm feeling and, yeah. and give, give voice to those feelings. Um, because, uh, and if, if, you know, if you've spent some time as, as a counselor, uh, for folks really, you know, trapped in trapped in addictions and stuff, the, our, you know, every decision is an emotional decision. That whole adage, you know, every buying decision is an emotional decision. Well, the, the shit that we, that we bring ourselves through sometimes in life is an, is an emotional decision at first, at least too. And then we perpetuate some of these things because we don't acknowledge just where we're at as a human being. Uh, and then, and that tends to be a repellent for people. I talked to somebody the other day, I said, uh, I said she, she was, she was really struggling. And, um, and I said, well, uh, to walk me, walk me through all these, all these terrible things that have happened for you. Um, walk me through which one of these doors, have, which of the doors that have closed because it was just like closed, 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 closed. Of the doors of the, of, of these doors that have closed in your life, how many have you closed on your own? And she, uh, she was visibly angry and defensive and said, none. And I said, okay. Uh, and then we walked through at least one door that had been closed, um, uh, by her for a reason. And I said, no, I'm judging you on this. There's no judgment coming from me. I just live. I just want to, to recognize the reality that you're, you have a tendency to close doors. And I said, and I know what it's like to put walls up where, where you know, we put that wall up and people run into it and you're like, boom. And then they just, <laughs> they just slide off. It's like, I'm immovable. I said, and that's different than developing a force field. Force fields are different where when people run into you, you're like, boom, and you press them back out. You push them, you repel them away. And I yep. said, I, I said, it, it feels to me to put like you're putting up force fields, not walls. Uh, and that's, and you're becoming safe in that. Um, but it's not working for you. Yep. So where's that connect with you and this idea of, you know, don't, don't do it alone. Uh, and then what this path that you're charting, uh, with your book and all. Well, you know, it's like the, the big thing that I learned in the last decade or so is to take responsibility, you know, just what you were saying, like how many of those doors did you close? And, uh, 
we don't want to take responsibility for that as humans. We, we don't want to be, you know, it's really easy to blame. And, uh, I blamed a lot of things along the way for the, for the way that I was. And when I finally learned how to take responsibility for the, you know, I messed this up, you know, I messed it up and that's fine. And that, that was such a huge thing to, to be able to say, that's fine. You know, like I didn't, I'm not dead yet. Then that's the thing I always keep coming back to is I'm not dead yet. None of this shit has killed me. Right. So, you know, whoop de do like it's, um, you know, but yeah, I, just, I love the, you know, what you were saying about the, I had the wall. I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily recall people. I kind of buried them, you know, like they hit, it was like cartoons sliding down. They just, there were puddles never going to see it again. Yes. But right. I, if I bounced them back, they had the chance to come back at that wall again, you know? <laughs> so the, uh, the, the last decades taught you a lot. What's, what's in store for you for the next decade? What's in your mind's eye? Uh, you know, one of the, one of the projects I'm working on right now, my, my wife, um, yeah, we've been married eight years now. We just celebrated our eight year anniversary, uh, in the keys, which was really awesome. awesome. Congratulations. Convertible and drove down, you know, did the, did the drive from South Carolina down to marathon in a, in a convertible. And, um, but when she's, uh, when I met her, she was just finishing training to be a life coach. And so she's been a life coach pretty much the whole time I've known her. And, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started taking a little more involvement in the business because, you know, I'm becoming more enlightened myself. And so one of the things that we're working on right now is a book about relationships. Uh, oh, wow. I started writing another book, but I'm writing it with my wife about relationships and the different ways that men and women deal with things and process things and communicate and, you know, how we've managed to make it work in the ways that we have, because, you know, we've, we look at each other eight years in and we love each other more than, than we did the day we got married. And both of us were married for 10 years the first time. And by eight years in, we were both done. I mean, we were checked mm -hmm. out. There wasn't, uh. There wasn't anything left to work with at that point. And so, you know, we're, we're working on a book to try and try and show people how to have the kind of relationship that we have. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I'm, I'm considering another book of poetry. You know, I've, I've been starting to write more. I've always, always fancied myself a writer. I was coming out of high school. I was originally a journalism major. And, uh, always really enjoyed it. I wrote a humor column in the, in the high school newspaper, which some of that became part of the book that I, that I just released. And, um, so definitely more writing, definitely more podcasting and definitely more just trying to find people to connect with so that they can have the kind of freedom that I've had. You know, I, I want everybody to be able to take responsibility for what hasn't worked and their part in it and change it and, and be happy and be connected with people and have these deep, wonderful relationships that everybody craves, but so few people want to admit that they, that they need it. You know, that's, I never wanted to admit that I needed people and I need people. I need this. I need this back and forth, man. I need to, I need to be able to sit and just be with people. Do you find that your, uh, your relationship with your wife uh, has, has had a hand in shifting your understanding of needing other people. Absolutely. Um, you know, early on, one of the things that she would get upset with me about is that I would never ask for help. Hmm. 
Like it was obvious to everybody that I needed help. I was I wasn't playing it off. You know, I thought I was, but I wasn't playing it off. Everybody knew I needed some help. And, uh-huh. and that was something that she would get upset with me about is like, you never ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. I said, but I don't need help. I'm strong. I'm tough. You know, you need help. And what uh, were you, what were you scared about by not asking for help? Just out of curiosity. You know, I was scared of people thinking that I was incapable. You know, I, I like with the keyboard behind me, you know, how many people have ever seen me play that other than my piano teacher up in New York? None, not a one. I don't want people to see me do anything until I'm good at it. I don't want people to think that I suck at something. I I'm scared of being, you know, inadequate. And by asking for help or by needing help, that means that I'm inadequate. Yeah. That's what I made it. That's that's not what it means. That's what I made it. The story that played out in your mind, that was the tape played. Yeah. And how did that, what, what sort of activities did you do to shift that mindset? Well, we, uh, we regularly engage in workshops. Um, we, we go to, uh, we did some stuff with Landmark Worldwide, which they have a couple of programs, one's called the forum, and then they do the advanced course and, uh, a lot of self-exploration and there are a lot of, a lot of looking at where we can be responsible and, you know, where we can be responsible, even if we're not sometimes in the interest of moving past things. Um, you know, and we took on practices early in our relationship. One of the ones that we took on was that each night we would say something we didn't want to say. And, you know, not like something like, oh, your hair looks like crap today. You know, something like, you know, uh, this is going on and it scares me, you know? Yeah. But the first time I had to admit to her that, you know, like, I don't have a job right now and I'm scared as hell, you know, like Mm -hmm. that, that was something I didn't want to say. And, uh, we took on the practice of saying it. And then we took on a practice of saying something that we did each day, you know, like she would ask me, what have I done today to please you? You know, what did I do today that displeased you? And so practices like that, um, really kind of got me to open up and communicate and feel like it was okay to reach out to other people. Hmm. Wow. That's powerful. And you've, and you've, uh, you used the word freedom earlier, uh, which is a huge, I mean, it's a huge word, uh, that, that, uh, especially when we're talking about personal freedom. Yeah. It's, you know, I feel like I have the freedom to be me now. You know, I don't, I, I still keep a few of the filters on when I'm speaking but it's more based on the, the audience than it is not wanting to share myself anymore. You know, it's, uh, I, I feel that freedom to be me and I feel the freedom to be okay with it. If somebody doesn't like who I am, mm-hmm. which that was, that always scared me so bad to, that somebody might not like me. And, uh, and I think, you know, some of it is age. I think as we, as we get older, you know, I'm seeing less and less of a give a damn as I get closer to <laughs> me, you know, I've, don't care quite as much, right. but a lot of it is related to the, the work that I've done to, to kind of recognize, you know, who I am and, and what I'm all about. And, uh, and it's okay. If somebody doesn't like that, that's fine. You know, I can meet people where they're at and I don't have to please everybody anymore. I just have to. Yeah. Be happy. I was working on this. I'm going to, as we're closing out our time, I'm going to show this to you just cause, uh, I want your opinion on this. As a man in radio in the prior life, 
Uh, and then as a guy who's, you know, processing the world, um, I feel like, uh, I feel like probably in radio, you got some attaboys, right? You have the people who really like you. Yep. Okay. Um, would it be safe to say you have the people who really didn't like you? I, I think it would be safe to say, you know, luckily that was, uh, it was a little bit before social media blew up. So I didn't have to deal with as many haters. You know, they actually had to pick up the phone and talk to me if they wanted to tell me they thought I was an ass. Yeah. So right. it, was, it was more likely that I was going to hear from the people that enjoyed what I was doing. Yeah. And you also, you also made mention that the, you know, there, there was a time when you felt like you needed to, um, be inoffensive, I think is the word that you used. Uh, by being palatable to all people and, and sort of morphing yourself, probably it sounds like to be, to be what the people needed. Is that a care, fair characterization? Yeah. You know, it's like, I'd, I, I always say now, you know, one of the things that I, I like to compare it to is that, you know, I am a, I'm a hazy IPA that was trying to be a force light, you know, okay. like I'm this full flavored beer, but I was trying, I was trying to be inoffensive. Yeah. You know, trying to make well, everybody be okay with me. Let me show you this graph and see what, see if this rings true for you, because this has been, this is, and the reason I say this, uh, this has just been going through my mind. Um, so I want your opinion. All right. I think most things operate on a bell curve. And I think that the bell curve of performance or the bell curve of being ourselves is that there's going to be a handful of people who really, really, really love us. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, boy, you did a great job. And then there's going to be both people who are like, really, really hate us. And like, you're the worst thing ever leave my life. And then most, most people are just in the middle, uh, you know, who are, who like, they're like, yeah, cool, whatever, you know, yeah. they don't care. And it seems to me that when our lives become too overly balanced, where all of a sudden everybody loves us and nobody hates us, there might be a problem. Also, similarly, there might be a problem when everybody hates us and nobody loves us because we're just not operating by the standard distribution of most systems uh, on the planet. And I think yep. relationships and, and, and being ourselves, bringing ourselves to the table, that because we are, um, if we're not offending at some point in time, I think we're not using, I think we're not having clear boundaries. I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, what I've been looking for now is uh, I'm looking for those people that think I'm great. You know, like I was, I tried to live so long and that everybody's okay with me. You know, like I'm, I'm okay with having a few down here as long as I can locate the people that are on the other side. You know, that yeah. thing for me is that I, I want to locate the people that think I'm great so that I can spend more time with them because yeah, right. you know, I don't, who knows how much time I've got. I want to find the right people to spend it with. And those are the people I want to spend it with because those are the people that are going to be real with me. Yeah. And there does seem that there's a risk of playing in the, playing to the middle ground, uh, because the middle ground, uh, is just a fickle, it's a fickle place to be. There's not, a, there's not a real depth of connection. Yeah. Um, which is which my guess. It's the loneliness of being, you know, alone in the in a room full of people. There's which, that quote. What's that? What is that? What is that quote? The worst thing you can do. I think somebody attributed to Robin Williams at one point in time, and I'm not sure that he said it. But it like the worst the the worst thing you can do is, uh, is make someone feel alone in your presence. Yeah, or something like that. So something like that. I was yeah, I don't remember it exactly, but that's 
yeah, I'm familiar with the quote you're talking about. And yeah, it's, it's a lonely existence, you know, to be, to have everybody be okay with you. But then, you know, that's, that never got me invited to any of the parties. Everybody was okay with me, but nobody was thinking, you know, oh shit, we need to invite Dave, you know, was like, oh, well, yeah, Dave could be there. That'd be okay. You know, and I, I want to be the one that people, I want to be at the top of the list for somebody, you know? Yeah. And I, I was never going to get there being the guy that I was being, trying not to offend anybody, you know, living in the middle. And that's, I, I had that experience in New York city several times where, you know, I, I would be sitting in a, just a crowded restaurant and realize that I felt completely lonely. Yeah. What a bizarre way to feel, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming up to the end of our time here, Dave, uh, the caveman Chapman. I, I've, I respect your journey, man. Uh, the, where you've, where you've come from, where you're headed. And I can see how these different component parts of your, of your history are coming together now and how it, it seems like you're a, uh, uh, like a chemist almost at work, pulling these different, different pieces together and saying, Hey, what if I made this thing? Um, and, and I, and I really like what you're doing with this last movie before breakfast. First of all, I think it's a great, it's a great name. Uh, and it, it clearly draws on some of your strengths. And then if you're, if you're building in, I think if you're building in this idea of other people into it as well, uh, and then getting your voice out through writing, I think that's fantastic. There are very few people, you know, a lot, a lot of people talk about doing stuff and very few people follow through. So mad respect to you for following through. Can people follow up with you at this, uh, that link you gave me, facebook.com slash caveman Chapman? Yeah, Caveman Chapman, I, uh, I post there fairly regularly, and uh, I also post when I have new new podcasts up, and there's a link to my book on there as well. Awesome. Well, congratulations to that uh, to you on that book and also this new book that you're writing uh, with your wife. That's, that's super cool. Uh, so yeah. valuable, really. Uh, and very exciting, you know, to be able to, to have that kind of a relationship with her is, it's really... Uh, really, really rewarding and exciting. It's got to bring it to another level. It seems. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining me on coffee with humans. This has been really great. Uh, I appreciate getting to know you. I much, much appreciate your time. It's been fun. Well, to our viewers and listeners, coffee with humans is live streamed candid conversations between strangers who become friends, making the world a better place. Catch us frequently. I won't even give you a schedule anymore, but catch us frequently. Uh, on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, LinkedIn, other places. Uh, subscribe and share, and then definitely check out Dave the Caveman Chapman on Facebook. Pick up his book, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us. One of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have, meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls.